Well, good morning. Happy New Year, right? Hard to believe this coming week. So, at the beginning of December, we started a series through the Gospel of Luke, looking at different aspects of the birth of Jesus Christ, and we just are going to continue through the Gospel of Luke for about the next six months, okay? Uh, And we're going to be looking at the Gospel of Luke from the standpoint of really looking and focusing on what does it mean to serve the Lord? Last year, we really focused on the worship of God and what does it mean to worship God and how does God want us to worship him? And I believe as we end 2019 and go into 2020 as a church, that God wants us to focus on serving And what does it look like to serve the Lord? And how should we serve the Lord? And what kind of a servant of the Lord am I? Realizing also that we're going to be serving the Lord throughout all of eternity. So it's something that hopefully we can start to get a little bit of a handle on here because it's something we're going to be doing for for quite a while if you know the Lord as your Savior. And we're going to pick it up uh, in Luke chapter 2, beginning at verse 22, where Jesus is still a very young baby, We're going to be looking at a couple different stories there surrounding that. But then we're going to move into a snapshot, and it's the only snapshot the Bible gives us of when Jesus was around 12 years of age. It is interesting that we really don't know much about the life of Jesus uh, between his birth and his earthly ministry that we'll start looking at next week in Luke chapter 3 after the ministry of John the Baptist Then the ministry of Jesus commences. But what God does choose to reveal to us, there there are powerful reasons behind why God chooses to, to, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, laid it on people like Luke to record the things that he does surrounding the uh, events of Jesus' life. And the, the way as I kept looking at this chapter and and, and meditating on it, whatever, God kept bringing three things to my mind that he wanted me to share today as sort of a foundation for other things in this chapter. Because what you see is Joseph and Mary coming to present the Lord Jesus as a baby in the temple. And then you see this elderly saint of God, Simeon, uh, able to you know, put his eyes on the Lord and hold him in his arms. And then you see this other great saint of the Lord, Anna, who's been so faithful to God all these years, and she gets to see the Messiah in person as well. And and what what is going on here, and how can you and I, some 2,000 years later, glean some things from this passage that, that will really hit home to us, especially when it comes to serving the Lord. And, and I see three things here that were significant in all the movement around Jesus and his presentation to the temple and people witnessing him there. And here are the three. You see the significance of the word of God. You see the significance of the spirit of God. And you see the significance of the house of God. 
And I would submit to all of us, those things should still be significant in our lives today. And they should be growing in significance as we grow in our walk with God and as we attempt to serve him in an effective way that pleases him. Let's start off with the significance of the word of God. Notice in Luke 2.22, it says, when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary brought Jesus up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, just as it is written in the law of the Lord. I want you to note a couple things there. First of all, notice, they weren't doing this just on a whim. They were doing this as a young couple under the direction of what the word of God told them they should do. It says, according to the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary were just following the law of the Lord. They were following the word of the Lord as he laid it out to these people, the people of Israel, in the Old Testament scriptures. They were doing what the scriptures told them they should do, just as it is written. I have a feeling that's just one of the reasons why God chose them to be the parents of the Son of God, the Messiah, because he knew that they would be people of the Word of God, that they knew the Old Testament Scriptures, as we talked about through Mary's song of praise and, and all of this, and they were people who were very closely associated with the Word of God, and they lived their lives ordered by the Word of God. The Word of God carried authority in their life, and they followed the Word of God as carefully and as closely as possible. Notice in verse 29, again, that phrase comes up where Simeon is blessing the Lord and says, now, Lord, according to your word. And then if you go over to verse 39, Joseph and Mary had performed everything. They had accomplished, they had fulfilled, they had finished everything. And here's this phrase again, according to the law of the Lord. If you go down even a little bit further, when Jesus is older, 12 years of age, where do they find him? They find him in the temple. And he's sitting, verse 46, amongst the teachers, listening to them, asking them questions. Well, what are they doing? They're talking about the word of God. They're reading the word of God. They're sharing the word of God with each other. So in this entire last part of chapter 2 here, in dealing with the the, the birth of Jesus soon after and all of that, what is significant? The word of God is significant. Everyone in this passage, from Joseph and Mary to Simeon to Anna to, to Jesus himself, what you see is there's the significance of the word of God. They are following the word of God as far as how it is given to them at this point. In fact, again, look at verse 42. When Jesus was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. Custom meaning it was the habitual practice or pattern, but that was based on what? Not their own whim. It was based on the word of God. They were told if they could at all possible get to Jerusalem during Passover to celebrate Passover together with others. They were just following the word of God. You and I, 
if we are going to be effective servants of the Lord and want to serve him in a way that pleases him and that glorifies him, we've got to be men and women of the book. We've got to be people of the word of God. And as we end 2019 and get ready to go into 2020, one of the greatest goals that we could set for ourselves as we get ready to end one year and go into another year is, Lord, how can I connect even more with your word this coming year? How can your word become more a part of my life? How can I put myself in a place where I will learn more of your word and grow from your word and get into your word and immerse myself and read it and study it and meditate on it and memorize it? How can the Word of God become more a part of the fabric of my life? Because as God's Word becomes more significant in our life, I guarantee you one thing, you will not be able to just sit as a saint of God. God's Word will begin to work in your heart and in your life, and you will have to get up and begin to do something to serve the Lord when God's Word grips your heart. Second, we see the significance not only of the Word of God, we see especially with Simeon here, but I think he's just representative of all of them, the significance of being connected closely with the Spirit of God. Look at verse 25 with me of Luke 2. There was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon who was righteous and devout, looking for the restoration of Israel. It means, basically, he was confidently expecting that the Messiah was going to come. He was looking for the Messiah. I like to remind myself, the antidote for apathetic living is expectant looking. You and I, when we are looking ahead and when we are, when we are looking towards what God has and when we are immersed in the things of God, it will prevent and be an antidote to that apathy, if you will, that can set in in our lives. And notice what it says about this man, Simeon. After it says he was looking for the restoration of Israel, it says the Holy Spirit was upon him. You see, even at this point yet, because Pentecost had not come, the Holy Spirit of God, unlike today, when he literally comes in and dwells inside of believers today, that hasn't come yet. That in the Old Testament economy, and we are still in a sense in that until Pentecost here through the Gospels, the Holy Spirit didn't dwell inside of them permanently as he does believers today. But he would come upon them. He would be in close contact or connection with them. They could connect with the Holy Spirit, just as you and I connect with him today and live out, if you will, from him, from his enablement, from his empowerment. And that's exactly what Simeon was doing. He was in close connection and contact with the Holy Spirit, but it doesn't stop there. Notice it says, because he had this, if you will, relationship with the Holy Spirit that the Holy Spirit then was revealing, verse 26, things to him. That's exactly what the Holy Spirit does. When you and I live closely, when we allow the Holy Spirit, as it teaches us in the New Testament, to be filled by the Spirit, to be controlled by the Spirit, to walk in the Spirit, as Paul talks about through his letters especially, 
you and I will begin to see that the Spirit of God will reveal things to us, will open up our eyes to things, that he will give us a spiritual perception and discernment and insight simply because we are living in close connection with him and things begin to be revealed to us. And here the Holy Spirit was revealing to Simeon that he would not die before he had physically, literally laid his eyes on the Messiah who had come. So then notice, verse 27. Simeon then was not only in close contact with the Spirit, not only was the Spirit revealing things to him, but now the Spirit was literally leading him, guiding him, directing him. And he was directing by the Spirit to come into the temple courts at just the time that Joseph and Mary and the baby Jesus were entering the temple courts as well. You see, when you and I live in close contact with the Spirit of God, when not only the Word of God, but the Spirit of God is significant in our lives and has a place of priority in our lives, we will live in a way where things will be revealed to us, where we will see what others are not seeing, where we will hear what others are not hearing because of the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. And we will live under his direction, his guidance, if you will, his leadership. And we will be able then to be in on things that others aren't in on because they're not being led by the Spirit of God. They miss out on tremendous things that God has because they're not letting the Spirit lead them. Amen. And if you and I are going to serve the Lord, not only does the Word of God then need to be significant in our lives, but our relationship, our fellowship, our close contact and connection with the Spirit of God has got to be there as well. And again, I submit to you that if the Spirit of God is truly growing in His significance in our life and becoming more and more a part of our life, if we're allowing the Spirit of God to lead us and direct us and guide us more and more, then we will not be able to just sit as saints. We will have to get up and begin to serve the Lord because part of the Holy Spirit's ministry is to empower us for service, you see. Empower us for service. So there's the significance of the Word of God, the significance of the Spirit of God. Then I want you to see the significance of the house of God. Again, look at verse 27. Where was Simeon directed by the Spirit to come to? The temple courts. Notice over in verse 37, where was Anna? Well, I, I love this. I, I've just got to read this. Anna was a special lady. It tells us in verse 36, first of all, she was a prophetess. She had been married to her husband, but for a very short time before he died. Now she's 84 years old, and yet since the time that her husband passed, many, many, many years before that, notice it says in verse 37, she never left the temple area. She worshiped and fast with fasting and prayer night and day. If you wanted to find Anna, where'd you go? House of God. That's where you went to find Anna. That's where Simeon saw the Messiah in the temple court. That's where Anna saw the Messiah in the temple. Notice in verse 46, where was Jesus when he went back 
or when he was in Jerusalem. After three days, they found him where? In the temple courts, in the house of God. And then if you go over to verse 49 in his response, and we'll get to this more later in the message, he said, didn't you know to his parents that I must be where? In my father's house. You see the centrality, if you will, of God's house here in this portion of Scripture. You see the centrality of the Holy Spirit in this portion of Scripture. You see the centrality of the Word of God. Everything that is happening here with the people of God is connected to the Word of God, the Spirit of God, and the house of God. And let me say this. When you and I, when we are in the house of God, we should also be seeing Jesus. <laughs> that we shouldn't be just seeing him through the word of God and through the leadership of the Holy Spirit, but hopefully we are part of a church where if we are going to that church, we are connecting with Jesus. We are seeing Jesus. We are growing in Jesus because out of all of these significant things, that play a part not only in our walk with God, but in our service for God. And let me say at this point, too, that one of the first places you and I ought to not only learn to serve God, but should spend our time serving God is in our house of God. Amen. That's where we cut our teeth. That's where we, that's where we learn and grow and, and all of that. That's why... You know, God brings us together so that we can all use our uh, talents and gifts and abilities that he's given each of us so that the body of Christ, first of all, can be edified. Then as the body is built up, then we can start to look outward. But so often we as Christians neglect our responsibility to serve the body and to serve one another and that that should be a priority of our life you see. Amen. So there is the Word of God, the Spirit of God, the house of God, all significant, all central to what's going on here and to the lives of the people of God. But here's what else I want you to see. When all of them are significant in our life, they will align us with Jesus. Because that's what you see happening here. And it's not an either or. Because if I'm allowing the Word of God to affect me and to influence me, then I'll be allowing the Spirit to do the same. And I'll be, I'll be making the house of God also a priority in my life because how can I not be allowing, or how can I say I'm being a, allowing the Word of God and the Spirit of God to influence me if the house of God means nothing to me? You see, they're all going to start working together and then they're all going to start working together to align all of us with Jesus Christ so that as we move into the Word, as we move by the Spirit, as we move into the house of God, everything lines up with Jesus. And I want you to see then out of this alignment of these three significant things, I want us to learn some things about what it means to align ourselves with Jesus Christ. And I want to spend the rest of my time in God's Word looking at that today. So let's go back, first of all, to Simeon. 
Notice Simeon in verse 27, directed by the Spirit, came into the temple courts, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was customary again, according to the law, notice what Simeon does. He took Jesus, the baby Jesus, up in his arms and blessed God. He, he literally received him. He, he opened up his arms to Jesus and he welcomed him into his life. That is so important for us. Before you and I can learn to give out as servants of God, and that's it's what it is. I mean, when you and I serve, obviously, we're giving of ourselves. We're pouring ourselves out for others and to others. Well, before we can do that, God wants to fill us up with him Amen. so that we can minister not out of a deficit, but out of the overflow of God's presence and power and person pouring into us. And so Simeon here is this beautiful picture of someone who's opening up his arms and literally receiving Jesus into his life and into his arms. And he's holding the baby Jesus. How precious of an opportunity was that? You know, the reason I bring this up is I think that especially again at this time of year, it's important that we end this year and start out the new year going, God, what do you have for me from you right now? How can I receive more of you? How can I open up my arms and welcome more of you in my life? How can I gain more access? How, how can I let you more? How can I get rid of the obstacles that's keeping the, the flow of you coming in so that I can literally open up my arms and just have you pour into me every day what you want me to receive? And are we truly welcoming him? Is our arms open to the Lord and what he wants us to hold, if you will, in our hands. It may not literally be the baby Jesus that he wants us to hold in our arms, but what responsibilities, what area of service, what, what is it that God wants us to hold now, and are we willing to receive what God has for us? Amen. Second, he then begins to bless God. And he says in verse 29, Now according to your word, sovereign Lord, permit your servant to depart in peace. In other words, God, I'm good. I can go home now and be with the Lord because I've seen, he says, look, my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. One of the things that Simeon is saying there is that God not only wants us to receive him, God wants us to see him. And the formula for peace is seeing Jesus. <laughs> because he says, I can depart in peace because I've seen Jesus. I, I've seen the Lord. And over and over and over again, the Bible teaches us that though we may not physically, like Simeon, be able to see Jesus with our physical eyes, we can look upon him every day. Amen. We can see him with our spiritual eyes. And the New Testament especially exhorts us as believers 
to look unto Jesus always, continually, the author and finisher of our faith, to never take our eyes off of Jesus. One of the reasons why even Christians struggle to have that peace that passes all understanding, that can guard our hearts and minds so evident in our lives, is we've taken our eyes off of Jesus and we put our eyes on someone or something else. And we need to get our eyes back on Jesus or else, even like the story of Peter walking on the water, we will begin to sink. Because Peter was good, the Bible says, as long as he kept his eyes on Jesus. But when he took his eyes off Jesus and got his eyes on the winds and the waves and the storm, then he began to sink into the sea. Simeon says, I not only want to hold what God has for me, I want to see him every day. I want to look at Jesus. I never want to take my eyes off of Jesus. And if you and I are going to serve the Lord, we not only have to receive what God has for us, but we need to make sure that we keep our focus fixed, our attention fixed on the Lord Jesus, not on our circumstances, not on what's going on, not, not here and there and everywhere, but to keep our faith and our focus and our eyesight just literally drilled in to the Lord Jesus. So then, verse 33, the child's father and mother were amazed at what was said about him. Literally in the original language, it means they were bewildered, they were stunned. And remember, these two have already had angelic messengers come to both of them and explain to them, your child's not going to be just any child. Your child's the son of God. Your child is the Messiah straight from heaven who has existed from all of eternity but now is going to come in human form and be born. So they knew and yet they still had a hard time there, there were still things that they heard and saw and, and I'm sure even experienced as the parents of Jesus that just left them amazed. Well, they weren't the only ones that Jesus amazed. Look, go over with me to where Jesus is 12 years old and he's in the temple courts, verse 46, and he's sitting amongst these, you know, the teachers and he's listening to them and asking them questions and all who heard Jesus were what? They were astonished. They were amazed. They were astounded at his understanding and his answers as a 12-year-old boy because 12-year-old boys couldn't hold their own amongst the teachers of the law. But this one could. Amen. And here's something I think God was sharing with me that he wants me to not only incorporate into my own life but share with you. When we align our lives with Jesus because the Word of God is significant, the Holy Spirit is significant, and the house of God is significant, we not only will receive what God has for us, keep our eyes on Jesus, but we will always and continually be amazed at Jesus. Amen. We will never lose our awe and wonder of Jesus. And we will never try to bring him down to a place where 
He, he fits into a box that you and I as human beings create, and we never allow him to be as great as he really is. There were always, and there should always be things about Jesus that I don't care how much we know of him and of his word and all of that, and even how devoted and dedicated we are as a Christian. There should always be things throughout our life that just leave us speechless when it comes to our God. Amen. Because he is beyond our comprehension. He's an infinite God, and he should always be that. And we should let God be God. And we should always be amazed at our God. We should always live our lives in awe and wonder of who he is and what he can do and what he wants to do in our lives. And we see that here as they begin to align their lives with the Lord Jesus. By the way, side note, I got a, I got a minute extra here. I can throw this in. Do you know Jesus here teaches us how to be good communicators as a 12-year-old boy? Because did you notice four things it says about Jesus, what he was doing while he was literally in the midst of these teachers? The first thing the Bible says he did was what? Verse four, listen. If Jesus was willing to listen to others, how much more do you and I need to be willing to listen before we speak? If we would listen more to others and more to God, we would be better off. Second, he asked questions. It's okay to ask questions. It's okay not to know everything. In fact, it's okay to admit we don't know everything. We should, because we don't. And here's Jesus. Asking questions of these teachers. Now, I think more than you and I, knowing the right questions maybe to ask, but he was willing to engage and ask questions with these that he created, by the way. Third, he came, the Bible says, to an understanding then after listening and asking questions, which enabled him then, in verse 47, to give the best answers. So often we get that back. We start answering before we've listened, before we've asked questions, and before we've come to some kind of understanding. Amen. We need to start following Jesus. Listening more, asking more questions, taking time to come to an understanding of the situation or of the person, and then giving a much better answer, just like Jesus did. Something else happens here when we align ourselves with the Lord is that we grow. Notice in verse 40 and 52 something really amazing here. And, and the, the, the reason Luke is doing this twice is because he wants us even as Christians to understand, yes, Jesus was God, 100% deity. Never lost that, never will but he was also 100% human. Amen. And so often as Christians, we get the deity part, but we forget Jesus was human just like us and that he grew just like a normal human being would grow, physically, emotionally, 
and spiritually. Notice what the Bible says in verse 40 and 52 of Luke 2. And the child Jesus grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. And Jesus, verse 52, increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and with people. It means he kept advancing. He kept making progress. He kept growing. And I submit to all of us again as God's people today, if Jesus in his humanity kept growing and increasing and making progress in his life, how much more should you and I make that the goal of our lives? We should never get to a place as a human being where we stop growing. If we stop growing today, we stop serving and leading and being effective for the Lord and bringing him glory tomorrow. We all should be growing and making progress and increasing right up to the time we go to be with the Lord. Amen. What goals have you set already maybe as a Christian for 2020 as to how you're going to put yourself in a position where you can grow like never before, where you can keep making progress and keep advancing and keep increasing and becoming more and more of what God created you to be. How's that going to happen? Listen, folks, you and I can't be passive. We can't just sit back and say, okay, I have the desire to grow, so God, just grow me. No. We've got to put some skin in the game, as they say. We've got to put forth some effort. So what effort? What rearranging of my schedule and calendar? What, what rearrangement of priorities are going to have to start happening in our lives for us to keep on the path of growth and, and progress in our spiritual life and in our walk with God? Because it's not just going to happen. It's just not. And when you and I begin to align our lives with the Lord Jesus, not only will we receive what God has and, and see him and be amazed by him, but we will have a burning desire to keep on going and to never stop until the Lord calls us home. One other thing I'd like you to see this morning from this passage. I'm not going to take the time to totally develop this. You can go home and read it for yourself. But you know the story then beginning in verse 41 where Jesus and his family was in Jerusalem for the Passover. And, and many of us have a hard time understanding how could they lose Jesus? In those days, these families were huge families and they had many, many people in their extended family and they even would travel with friends. So it was not unusual for, say, a caravan, if you will, of out-of-towners to come in from Jerusalem and have 75 to 100 to even 125 people in their caravan, in their group. So this was just one of those cases where, as parents sometimes, Joseph thought Jesus was with Mary and Mary thought Jesus was with Joseph because here's the other thing. In those caravans the women and children usually would go first and go up front and lead the caravan and allow the men, especially for protection from the backside, to sort of protect the backside, if you will, of the caravan. So that's why Mary, because most of you would be going, well, 
Weren't they together? Yes, in one sense, but they could have been very far apart as far as distance goes. So one parent thought Jesus was with the other. And somewhere along the line, they get to a place where either they came together as mom and dad or start, you know, asking, you know, where's Jesus? Haven't seen him in a while, and he's nowhere to be found. And all of a sudden, you, you would be this way as parents, like, oh, my goodness, we've lost Jesus. We had one responsibility, <laughs> raise the Son of God, and now we've lost him. Oh, boy, are we in trouble, right? So the Bible says they had been a day's journey out from Jerusalem, so now they had to take a day to get back to Jerusalem. And then the Bible tells us it took them a day in Jerusalem to find Jesus. Three days. Think about that. Three days, Jesus was missing until he was found. There's another time in Jesus' life where he was gone for three days and then reappeared, right? And when Mary found Jesus, you mothers can identify with this, right? Here's what she says. Child, why have you treated us like this? Verse 48. Look, your father and I, don't you love that? The father probably, you're talking for me now? Have been looking for you actually. You know what? She's upset. She's actually trying to put guilt Unto Jesus to make him feel bad. And you say, well, didn't he do something wrong? No. Remember, Jesus never sinned in his life. And I want you to see what Jesus teaches us and what aligning our lives teach us by looking very carefully at the response of Jesus, especially to his mother, but to both of his parents. Verse 49. He replied, why were you looking for me? That's not the best translation. A better translation is, didn't you know where I would be? And then he says this. Didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? In other words, by using the word must, he's saying, don't you understand by now, mom and dad, earthly mom and dad, that I have a higher calling and that my relationship to my heavenly father trumps my relationship to you? That there is someone, something bigger and more important going on here and my first priority is to my heavenly Father. Don't you understand that by now? And the reason Jesus was able to say that is because he was 12 by now. They not only had the angels' announcements, they had grown up watching Jesus for 11 plus years putting his father before his earthly parents as he grew older. His habits. They saw what he did and what he didn't do. They knew there was something very different about this child, especially as they began to have other normal children who acted and sinfully, you know, like we all do. 
And here's Jesus, so different. And Jesus is basically at this point saying to his parents, you may not understand, but I've still got to do what my father wants me to do. And my father wants me here. And what we learn then from this story and this alignment with Jesus is that Jesus as the servant of his father lived by divine necessity. In other words, there were certain things that were absolutely necessary and they had to be done non-negotiable above everything else. Then when those things were done, the things that I must do, if I have time for other things, then so be it. I'll, I'll do those other things. But I've got to live my life making sure, as we say, that the big rocks get into the container first. I must do this. And God was saying to me, this is what you need to share with the folks at the Oasis. This is, Jeff, what you need to hear. Is that as we come into a new year, more than ever, in a world of distraction, where we can go so many different ways, you and I, if we're going to be more and more effective servants of the Lord, aligning our lives with Jesus, we've got to live under the divine necessities of our life. Amen. What are the things that we must do? They've got to be done first. They've got to take the priority. Then, whatever leftover, that can be filled in with other things. And can I say this? That also means, just like it was with Jesus, that if you live that way, most of the people around you and in your life will not understand your life. They will not understand you. Because, and this is why this is important that we say this out loud. Because we live in a world today where everybody wants affirmation for the way they live. I want everybody to applaud me and the choices I make and what I do and all that. I need affirmation from other human beings. And I'm here to tell all of us today that especially as dedicated, devoted Christians, that to be as devoted to the things of God and immersed in the things of God as Jesus models for us here, even as a 12-year-old boy, you will have most of the people in your life not understand you and your commitment to God you got to be okay with that. That means your friends probably won't understand your commitment. That means your children or your parents probably won't understand your commitment. That means your spouse might not even understand that commitment. That, that means where your coworkers and people you go to, they may not understand. But we've got to get to a place just like Jesus where it's like, you may not understand what I'm doing, but I must do this because this is what my father wants me to be doing right now. The necessities of life. In Jesus' very early life, as the people of God are moving, you see three significant things. 
the Word of God, the Spirit of God, and the house of God, all lining them up with Jesus Christ. And from that alignment, we learn so much about what it means to serve the Lord. Are you willing right now at the end of this year to receive what God has for you? Are you willing to just keep your eyes focused on Jesus? Are you willing to continually be amazed and live in wonder and awe of the Lord that knows us? Are we willing to put ourselves in a place where we will grow and thrive and and increase and keep making progress in our walk with God and our spiritual life? And are we willing to live as Jesus lived? by the divine necessities of life, saying, it's not about what I want, it's about what I must do. And my father has told me, this is what I must do. What is it that your father, your heavenly father, is laying upon you right now saying, this is what you must do above everything else? This is the big rocks that need to get into your life. I guarantee you, when we live our lives this way, we will thrive like never before. Let's stand and close in prayer. Father, I pray today that, Lord, we will allow you to impact us through these stories from long ago. That, Lord, we will realize that even as a baby, that Jesus was impacting and influencing lives. That even as a 12-year-old boy, Jesus was making a profound difference on everyone around him. And God, that's what he wants to do right here today. Jesus says, you are in the midst of us right here, amongst us today. Your presence is here in this place. God, you don't want us to leave the same as the way we walked in. You want to be here to impact and influence, to affect us. And God, I pray that we would be open to that, that we would respond to God, you're moving in our lives right now. That God, we would set our eyes upon you, that we would get our direction from you, our guidance, our leading from you. And whatever you have for us, God, others may not understand, but God, we do not live for the approval or the applause of human beings. We live for the audience of one, and that is you, Lord. And so, Lord, what is it that you have for us today? Show us, God. Open up our eyes. Open up our ears. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.